Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so, so much for listening. I'm flying solo for today's podcast, which will be a little bit different in terms of the usual structure. Instead of doing one part on Napoli's scoreless draw against Hellas Verona on Saturday and a second part to preview the Milan match on Tuesday, I'm going to do one big part that addresses both matches together because I think these two matches are inextricably linked. So let's get right into it. Match day 30 was a bit of a bizarre round as far as results go. The only teams in the top half of the table to win their matches were the two clubs from Rome, Lazio beat Spezia on Friday, and Roma beat Udinese on Sunday. Roma were the only team who were still alive in a European club competition to win their Serie A match this round. Of course, Milan drew 1-1 to Bologna. Immediately after that match, Napoli drew to Hellas Verona. I'll talk about both of those results in more detail in a moment. After our draw, Inter lost 1-0 to Monza, their 5th consecutive league match without a win and their 11th defeat of the season, which is astonishing really. Then on Sunday, Juventus lost 1-0 to Sassuolo. That's how Sassuolo deservedly got back into the top half of the table. They've quietly been in very good form lately. As I mentioned, Sunday closed with Roma defeating Udinese 3-0, and then on Monday, Atalanta drew Fiorentina 1-1. Now, while you don't often see many top teams drop points in the same round, it wasn't terribly surprising either considering the squads that were fielded. Stefano Pioli had the most dramatic turnover replacing all 10 of his outfield players. The only player that remained from the squad that played Napoli in the Champions League was Mike Magnan. 
evidently Pioli prioritizes the Champions League ahead of Serie A, which I find really fascinating and also somewhat ironic by focusing on this season's Champions League He's jeopardizing Milan's chances of playing in the Champions League next season. And I think he's playing with fire a little bit. I mean, we can all understand why Luciano Spalletti made five changes to his Napoli side and might have made even more had Kim Minja and Andre Frank Zambuangisa not been suspended. We knew there was a risk we could draw points here. We saw what happened when we over-rotated in the Coppa Italia against Cremonese. But we were also well aware of the 16-point lead we had on Lazio heading into the round so it was well worth the risk. We could afford to drop a few points here and there. To an extent, I can even understand Simone Inzaghi resting players ahead of Inter's match against Benfica, particularly because of the club's financial situation and because Inter have one foot in the semifinals after their 2-0 win over Benfica in the first leg. Of course, the same point applies to Inter, namely that they seem to be jeopardizing next year's Champions League in order to advance further this year, But Inter's financial situation is such that they need cash now, so they may actually be willing to accept a lesser amount now in exchange for potentially more next season by playing in a full group stage. Milan's finances have improved significantly over the last few seasons, which makes me think their motivations are somewhat different. And it wasn't the first time Pioli rotated heavily either. He made five changes for Milan's match against Empoli, which was in between the two recent victories over Napoli, first in Serie A and then in the Champions League. That match finished in a scoreless draw, and then, as I said, he made 10 changes for the Bologna match. Bologna have been in great form lately, so that was a very bold decision from Pioli. Now, I've heard a few people say that Milan were the better side and probably deserved the win. Maybe they did because of how well they played after they brought on their regular starters, but I thought Bologna were worth every penny. So if money is not the reason, then you have to ask, what is the motivation behind Pioli's rotation? I think the obvious answer is the draw. I think all four clubs on this side of the bracket recognize that this could be their one opportunity in a very long time to reach the final of the Champions League. And then when you get there in a one-match final, anything can happen. Even reaching the final is a big deal. He could also be motivated by the fact that Their city rivals are in a very strong position to advance to the semi-final, so it's up to Milan to stop them. It would be incredible for any of these clubs to reach the final, but it would be even more incredible for Milan to reach the final by eliminating Inter. A part of me also wonders if Pioli is still determined to prove that his team is better than Napoli, and what better way to prove that than by eliminating them in a two-legged Champions League quarterfinal. I've mentioned this numerous times, but it seemed like Pioli really struggled to accept the defeat to Napoli earlier this season. Then again, you would think he would feel vindicated by the two recent wins over Napoli, one being an absolute blowout in Napoli, and the other being a gutsy win on a day where Napoli were probably the better side, at least in my opinion. I also wondered if Pioli's decisions had anything to do with the run-ins, but when I look at the schedules for the four teams competing for those final two Champions League positions... Milan have a relatively difficult schedule. They still have to play against Roma, Lazio, and Juventus in the final eight rounds. With the draws against Empoli and Bologna, Milan will now have to win against Roma and Juve. As far as I'm concerned, Lazio are finishing in the top four anyway, so that result is not a must-win for me. That said, 
Inter, Juventus, and Atalanta all have difficult run-ins as well. Inter still have to play Lazio, Roma, Napoli, and Atalanta. They'll probably be hoping that Napoli have wrapped up the league by that point. Juventus have the easiest run-in of those four clubs. They only have Atalanta and Milan remaining. And of course, if they get their points deduction reversed, Juve would jump to third in the table and would have a fairly comfortable lead over Milan. With their run-in, if Juve get their points back, they would be as sure of a top four finisher as Lazio. By the way, we should have a ruling on their appeal in the next day or two. Naturally, they picked a date that's only a couple of days before the Juve-Napoli match. Finally, Atalanta still have to play Roma, Juventus, and Inter, so I think they're probably the least likely of these four teams to finish in the top four, especially after their draw against Fiorentina on Monday. In a way, Pioli and Milan were quite fortunate that so many of their direct rivals dropped points this round, so they're still very much alive in the race for top four. For Napoli, the drop-off in quality was quite noticeable having rested Lobotka, Zielinski, Kvarskhelia, and Osimen. I don't think we missed Rachmani a whole lot, but that was simply because we didn't have much defending to do. We had an 80% ball possession rate, which is really quite remarkable. The problem is, we didn't do a whole lot with that possession. Hellas Verona held us to our lowest XG of the season at 0.4. Fortunately, we held them to an XG of 0.4 as well, which made this a pretty unexciting match for the neutral. They also limited us to only one shot on target, which was also a season low for us. We just could not break down that staunch Hellas Verona low block. They had so many players behind the ball, all very deep, which made it very difficult for us to penetrate. Really, the only bright spot from the match was that we immediately looked more confident and more dangerous after Kavada, Zielinski, Lobotka, and most importantly, Osimen entered the match. In previous episodes, I've talked about the importance of Osimen. I'll summarize that when we get to our three keys to the match but I think his absence during this poor run of form has proven that he is probably the most important player on this team. Without Osimen in the lineup, Kavada has been ineffective, whereas if you take Kavada out of the lineup, I think we're still more than capable of winning matches. Fortunately, after Saturday's appearance and then the comments Osimen made to fans after Monday's training session, it appears that Victor is in fact ready to return to the starting eleven. So with that, let's get to our starting lineups. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti will line up in his usual 4-3-3 formation with Alex Meret in goal. I almost didn't notice it at first, but Meret ditched the protective face mask that he's been wearing ever since he picked up that injury against Torino. With Kim Min-jae suspended due to yellow card accumulation, Juan Jesus is expected to start alongside Amir Rachmani at centre-back. We knew from Spalletti's pre-match press conference for the Hellas Verona match that Rachmani was likely going to get a rest. I was expecting Leo Ustegaard to start at center right, which is his natural position and which would also allow Kim to remain in his natural position at center left. Instead, Spalletti shifted Kim to center right and played Juan Jesus at his natural position at center left, which in retrospect made a lot of sense. He wanted to give Jesus a run-in to make sure he was sharp and get his timing right ahead of the Milan match. Right back is easy to predict, of course, Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start there. 
but left back is very difficult to predict. I think you can make an argument for either of Mario Rui or Matias Oliveira to start on Tuesday. There's no denying that Mario Rui has struggled against Milan in the last two matches. Meanwhile, I thought Oliveira played quite well against Hellas Verona. Of course, Hellas Verona are not that great. But Oliveira can provide that extra physicality that has been missing against Milan. We saw those two goals where Brahim Diaz got by Lobotka and Mario Rui. And I just feel like Oliveira would have bumped him off the ball or fouled him or done something to stop those plays. We will also need that physicality even more with Kim not in the lineup. You could also argue that Spalletti played Oliveira on Saturday to get him ready for Tuesday like he did with Juan Jesus. I think if that match on Saturday had gone differently, then Spalletti would have removed Juan Jesus and perhaps Oliveira as well, and that would have been the indication for us as to who was going to start on Tuesday. However, because we needed to score, Spalletti used his substitutions to bring on attacking players. Also, our defenders really didn't have a whole lot to do in that match, considering how much of the ball we had. Oliveira had to work a little bit harder than Jesus though because he was often getting forward to join the attack so that could also factor into Spalletti's decision. With Osimen in the starting 11, Mario Rui becomes a much more useful player in the attack because of his ability to cross the ball. So I'm really torn on this but all things considered I'm going to go with Mario Rui to start at left back. With Andre Frank Zambuangisa suspended for the double yellow he got in the first leg, we know there will be at least one change in the midfield. One of the big debates has been who will start in his place between Eli Felmas and Tanguy Ndombele. I'm inclined to think that Elmas will start. If you think about the role that Ngisa plays, his job is essentially to be a big body in the midfield that can hold the play up with his size and who can win the ball back with his press. Now, Almas is not a big body, so he won't be as good at holding the ball up like Angisa does, but he certainly has the legs to play the high press that was so effective in the first leg. Also, Elmas provides a bit more of an attacking threat, which is something we'll need being down a goal heading into this match. I'm sure we'll see Ndombele at some point, but I suspect he'll come off the bench. Perhaps he will replace Zielinski in the second half or in extra time if it gets to that point. Both Zielinski and Lobotka rested for most of the Hellas Verona match, so we can expect both of them to return to the starting lineup on Tuesday. Besides Osimen, I think their absences were the most noticeable in that Hellas Verona match. I like Diego Demme, he was great for us in the Gattuso days, but it felt like he was still playing for Gattuso. He kept on turning back, which allowed Hellas Verona to get back and defend. Lobotka, on the other hand, is so good at turning and finding passes that progress the ball forward. He is easily one of our most important players in this system. Finally, two of the front three are pretty much set in stone. We know Huicha Kvaraskhelia will start on the left wing and Victor Osimen will start at striker. The only remaining question is who will start on the right wing. Usually we have a good idea who's going to start based on who played in the previous match, but both Lozano and Politano started against Hellas Verona. However, given that Lozano played only 64 minutes compared to Politano's 84 minutes, I'm leaning towards Lozano to start on Tuesday. For Milan, I think we can expect a very similar lineup to the one we've seen in the last two matches against Napoli. Most likely, Stefano Pioli will line up in a 4-2-3-1 formation. 
because that's what he has used in each of Milan's last four matches, though I think there is a slight possibility that he reverts back to the 3-4-2-1. That's the formation he used to put the fire out when Milan were struggling in January and early February. Of course, Mike Magnan will start in goal. He is arguably Milan's most important player, and as we'll get to, he can single-handedly see Milan through to the semi-final. The one position where I think we may or may not see a change is at centre-back. The pairing of Simon Kair and Fikayo Tomori has worked well in the last two meetings, but you wonder if, at least in part, they were effective because Napoli played Simeone, Elmas, and Raspadori up top. In other words, perhaps that pairing would be less successful against Victor Osimen. Pierre Kalulu has recovered from the calf injury he suffered during the international break. Now, he did play the full 90 minutes against Bologna, so he might be a little bit tired, but that could have been a test run just like Spalletti tested out Juan Jesus for the full 90 minutes against Hellas Verona. That pairing, along with Teo Hernandez and Davide Calabria, were so key to Milan's defense last season, particularly in the home stretch. Milan went unbeaten in their final 16 games last season. They recorded 11 clean sheets during that run and conceded only 5 total goals. And it was that back four that got it done. So I'm expecting the same back four for this match with Teo Hernandez at left back and Davide Calabria at right back. A quick comment on Teo who was the victim of some pretty extreme hatred from a few morons on social media. I tweeted, perhaps controversially, that there have been moments this season where I've been embarrassed to be a Napoli fan. Maybe ashamed would have been a better word because you all know how much I love this club. But there are times where select individuals take it way too far and that's exactly what we saw at the weekend. For those of you who didn't see this story, Teo posted a picture with his baby boy who was celebrating his first birthday and a few Napoli fans posted some pretty horrific comments that I will not repeat. Needless to say, they more than crossed the line now. It's perfectly fine to dislike a player like Teo. He's the type of player that you'd love to have on your team, but you hate when he's on another team, particularly when he does things like how he showboated in front of Lozano last match. But that's just a way of getting players off their game. It's something that's done on the pitch, and it's not a personal attack on an individual and or their family. Now look, we all know that all clubs have bad apples in their fan bases. Even many Milanisti recognize that in the comments on my post. I also disagree with many Milanisti who made gross generalizations about the entire Napoli fan base based on the actions of a select few, but that's why I feel embarrassed because this behavior gives all Napoli fans a bad name even if we condemn the behavior. It certainly doesn't help that we've had so many of these isolated incidents this season, and it's not as though it's the same culprits every time. Yes, the brawls on the A1 and then the fights in the stands, both in Frankfurt and in Napoli, were between different ultra groups, but the other incidents, at least to my knowledge, did not involve the ultras. According to reports, the fans that were throwing beer bottles and urine at the San Siro were not the ultras, and who knows about the people who were commenting on Teo's photo online. Some Milanisti were also complaining about the fans chanting and setting off fireworks outside of the hotel in Napoli that Milan were staying at. I don't have any issue with that to be honest. It's not racist behavior, it's not violent behavior, there were no death threats. 
it was just noise, and that's actually quite common. You can kind of think of that as part of home field advantage. Also, as friend of the pod Scott noted on Twitter, noise-canceling headphones do exist, so Milan could have and probably did block the noise out rather easily. It's also worth noting that many Milanisti, and frankly every other fan base for that matter, have been insulting Napolitani people for years and acting like it's no big deal. Now, I'm not saying that two wrongs make a right. I still condemn the Napoli fans that did all this crazy stuff. But there was quite a bit of hypocrisy going on, especially online from Milanisti. Just last episode, we talked about the banner that referenced the soap and water shop, which was about how Napoli people are dirty. So Milanisti do crazy stuff as well. Now, the Napoli fans who wish these hateful things to Teo and his son were absolutely wrong to do that without a shadow of a doubt. They too should be identified and fined or punished in some way. But so should the fans who chant Lavali Col Fuoco or Vesuvio Eruta. Because guess what? If those things happened, Napoli people of all ages, from newborns to seniors and everyone in between, would be wiped out. And to those opposition fans who defend this behavior by saying that chanting these things won't actually cause the volcano to erupt, then the same logic could be applied to those hurling insults at Teo. Wishing hateful things on other people will not actually cause those things to happen, but that's not the point. The point is that none of these things should be said in the first place, and everyone needs to be punished equally. So I don't condone any of this behavior. But regardless of what other fans are doing, All this stuff that our fans are doing is really starting to tarnish what has been an incredible season for us. Some would even go so far as to say that these incidents, which happen everywhere with every club, are intentionally being overreported by the media to tarnish Napoli's successful season. Perhaps that's true, there's a little bit of history to that, but I honestly don't know. It's all just very disappointing to me. At the end of the day, the media can only report these stories if we give them the stories to report. Those rotten apples are giving the media the ammunition to come after us, and it all just really needs to stop. Anyhow, back to the Milan lineup, Sandro Tonali and Ismail Benacer will start in the double pivot, and then the front four should be no different from the last meeting either, with Rafael Leao on the left wing, Brahim Diaz on the right wing, Rade Krunic in the 10, and Olivier Giroud at striker, although... He did pick up a minor knock, so we'll see if he actually starts. Like with Napoli, when some of those players were subbed on against Bologna, particularly Leao and Brahim, Milan looked significantly better. So those are our starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is to expect Milan to defend and counter. This is probably not a big revelation to anyone. As you know, Milan won the first leg 1-0 at the San Siro, which means... We need to win the second leg by at least a goal. If we win by a single goal, the match will go to extra time. If we win by more than a single goal, then we will advance to our first ever Champions League semi-final. And of course, if we draw or lose, our Champions League run will come to an end. For those of you who may not be aware, the away goal rule was abolished a couple of seasons ago, which means if we won 2-1 or 3-2, for example, this match would still go to extra time. That rule change is good for us. Historically, we would have had to win this match by two goals to advance because in the event of a draw on aggregate other than 1-1, Milan would have advanced because of the away goal rule. Now, 
Even though Milan scored on the break in the first half of the first leg, I don't necessarily think that was Pioli's plan heading into the match. I think we just played so well and pressed and counter-pressed so aggressively in that first half that the only way Milan were going to create anything to that point was on the break. However, I think they very intentionally set up to defend and counter at the start of the second half, and I think they'll do the same thing for the second leg. That's basically what they did against Tottenham in the round of 16, and there are some parallels between the two ties. Milan won the first leg like they did against us, the score was 1-0 as well, though I'd say they were better in the first leg against Tottenham than they were against us. And then they basically defended for 90 minutes in the second leg, so I'm expecting a similar approach from Milan. I mentioned the formation earlier. Had Malik Tia not picked up a knock in training, I would not have been terribly shocked if Pioli went back to the three-man back line. It was a formation Milan used when they were bleeding goals and needed to shore up at the back, so it would not have been a foreign concept to them. It was a formation they used to defend that 1-0 lead against Tottenham, and it's a formation that I think would match up better against a Napoli side with Cavada and Osimhen available, while also clogging up the middle of the park. Perhaps Pioli still goes with that formation, but if Tia is not fully fit, then it's far less likely that he does. While he has Kyer available as well, Pioli will want to keep one of his top center backs on the bench, in case of injury. Regardless of the formation, Milan will definitely look to play the long ball for layout to chase. That will easily be the biggest threat to us in this match. I think we've probably taken for granted how good and how quick Kim Min Jae is. Replacing Kim with Juan Jesus, we lose a lot of pace at the back. I'm sure Kim's absence influenced Belletti's decision to rest Rachmani against Hellas Verona. He knows Rachmani will have his work cut out for him. We absolutely cannot afford to concede, so we'll need to be very careful defending the counterattack, and that's partly why I have Lozano in the starting 11. I'm not sure if I mentioned this previously, but one thing that stood out to me in the first leg was how Lozano dropped very deep instead of pressing when Milan had the ball, Instead, Elmas, Cavada, and Zielinski did the pressing, and I have no doubt in my mind that that was Spalletti's solution to stopping Teo Hernandez's marauding runs forward, and also perhaps to inject some pace in the defense to get back to help defend Leao. Our midfielders also have to be very careful not to be exposed as well. We've seen that a couple of times against Milan already, not to mention that Ngonj chance at the end of the Hellas Verona match. My second key to the match is Victor Osiman. Now, I won't spend too much time on this one because I've already talked at length about the impact of Osiman's presence, let alone his play. So let me give you a quick synopsis here. First, Victor stretches the opposition. The threat of the long ball over the top forces the opposition backline to play deep, which creates more space in the midfield. Consequently, many teams play a low block against us, as we saw against Hellas Verona. Going back to my first key to the match, I don't think Milan would necessarily mind playing a low block. I definitely don't expect them to play expansive football, especially at the start of this match. There is going to be a wild atmosphere at the Maradona. There are plenty of reports that Napoli's Ultras are planning a Tifo. We'll see what they come up with. They haven't had as much time to plan it as Milan did for theirs. Apparently Milan's fans were working on theirs for about a month, basically as soon as Milan found out who they would be playing against. Of course, we would have only had a week and a half to work on ours, 
after De Laurentiis made peace with the Ultras. I don't know if an arrangement has been made to allow all of the Ultras to attend the match, even without the Fidelity card, but this should be one of the most fired up crowds at the Maradona or the San Paolo in a very long time. A quick note on the peace treaty between ADL and the Ultras. I'm glad they sorted this out for now. I think the players deserve to have the fans united behind them, but I do wonder how long this will last. I think it's interesting that the day after De Laurentiis was ordered to have a police escort with him at all times, he's suddenly best friends with the Ultras. I'm not sure that either party really means it. If you look at the picture De Laurentiis posted, he looks incredibly nervous, and a number of the Ultras in that photo don't look too thrilled at all to be there either. De Laurentiis' caption with the photo was Napoli siamo noi, Presidente Tifosi Uniti per vincere. We are Napoli, President and Fans United to win. As Patrick Hendrick noted during the broadcast of the Hells Verona match, those were very cleverly selected words from De Laurentiis. Napoli siamo noi are words that are often used by the Ultras to say, we are Napoli, not you. My biggest concern with this little peace treaty is that it effectively validated the behavior of the Ultras. The message to them was, if you stage a silent protest, you'll probably get your way, at least during a successful campaign. It's great that the flags and the banners and the drums will be allowed back in the stadium, but what do you think will happen the next time the Ultras disagree with a decision of the club or the league? They will protest again. I suspect for both parties... The timing was right to make peace because neither of them want to be blamed if Napoli exit the Champions League and they know Spalletti will not be shy to call them out. In any event, the Maradona will be rocking on Tuesday so Milan's first objective will be to get through the opening 15-20 to 20 minutes without conceding a goal and hope that that takes the crowd out of the match. The other thing Osiman does is he provides an aerial threat. Against Hellas Verona, we were crossing the ball into the area, but you're just not going to win many headers with Raspadori playing as a striker. I'm a bit surprised actually at how quickly some fans have turned on Raspadori. Personally, I don't think he's been fully fit at all. I think he's been playing through this injury because all of our strikers got hurt at the same time. That said... I think it is fair to question whether he could be the Osimen replacement if Osimen was sold, and I think over these past few matches we probably got our answer. It seems like Raspadori is more likely to succeed playing in a front two, which is not how Napoli play. He could also play as the number 10 in a 4-2-3-1, but realistically I could only see us using that formation as an in-game tactical change when we need to score, and if so, was it really worth it to spend so much money on a bench player? The good thing is, if anyone can solve this riddle, it's Luciano Spalletti. Who knows, maybe he can even convert Raspadori into a right winger and solve two problems for us at once. The third advantage of having Osimen in the squad is he naturally attracts attention, which then frees up Quaraschelia. It's no coincidence to me that Cavada did not record a single goal or an assist while Osimen was hurt, he probably should have scored in that first leg against Milan, but the point is that it was much easier for the opposition to double and triple team Cavada when Osimen was not in the lineup. If Osimen's back, Cavada should have more freedom to run at Calabria, who, to his credit, has defended the Georgian really well in the last two meetings. 
Finally, Osimen is a finisher. I watched a compilation video of all his goals from this season, and it is remarkable how many goals he scored that most players in the league simply would not have scored. He scored goals with ridiculous finishes. He scored goals where he utilized his unique physical attributes, whether it's his pace, his length, or his leaping abilities. He scored goals where he's timed his runs in front of the goal to perfection. And he scored goals where he's in the right place at the right time. But that is no coincidence. That is a sign of a player with a very high football IQ who knows how to read the play and position himself to win a rebound or a second ball. Most of these attributes are things that simply cannot be taught. My final key to the match is to avoid a penalty shootout. Of course, we have to take it one step at a time. There are no three-pointers in football, so the first objective is to score first to level the score on aggregate. Then we need to find a second goal, which won't be easy with Mike Magnon in goal. We've seen all season long and last season what he is capable of. We saw that as recently as the first leg as well. He's conceded only 17 goals and 18 appearances in all competitions this season, so he's averaging right around one goal per match. He only conceded more than one goal in five matches this season. Fortunately, one of those five matches was against us, so we know we're capable of putting more than one goal past him. He's only conceded more than two goals once this season, which was the 3-1 defeat to Udinese immediately prior to the international break. That means that in addition to scoring, it will be really important that we do not concede in the second leg because statistically, if we do, then at best we'll have to win in extra time or worse, in a penalty shootout. I don't mind going to extra time because even with Kim and Angisa out, we still have quite a bit of depth in the squad and in my opinion, we are still deeper than Milan. We have the two starting left backs in Mario Rui and Matthias Oliveira. We have two options to replace Anguisa in the midfield in Elmas and Ndombele. We have two options on the right wing in Lozano and Politano. And even though he's been out of form since returning from the injury, we do still have Raspadori who can be an impact player especially if he's used correctly. Meanwhile, you look at Milan's bench, and they have guys like Salamakers, Rebic, Messias, and De Ketelaer. Salamakers scored a nice goal against us, but he is not a very good player. Rebic has struggled with injuries over the past few seasons. Two seasons ago, he had an elbow injury, COVID, a hip flexor issue, and then ended the season with a calf injury. That was still one of his better seasons with 11 goals. Last season, he had an ankle injury, followed by a thigh injury, scoring only two goals. And then this season, he's had back problems and another thigh injury, scoring only three goals. Junior Macias has had some magical moments for Milan, both in the Champions League and in Serie A. His story is incredible, but he only seems to pop up for these moments every now and then, and then disappears again, and he's also struggled with injuries this season. And finally, De Ketelaer has had an absolutely dreadful season in Serie A, considering the price that Milan paid for him, especially when you compare him to Cavada, who's come in for a third of the price, and been one of Serie A's best players. Now, this may come off as a bit of a hot take, but I still see the potential there, and I still think he can become a very good player at Milan. I think we're far too quick to write players off. We did the same thing with Lobotka at Napoli. Milan did the same thing to an extent with Leao, and now they are two of the best players in the league at their respective positions. The one depth option Milan have that I still really like 
is Tommaso Pobega. He's struggled to get playing time, but when he does play, he always seems to have an impact. He scored a beautiful equalizer against Bologna with a shot from outside the area, off the upright, and in. But on the whole, I'd take our bench over Milan's any day of the week. And hopefully, if this match goes to extra time, then we have the quality to score a winner before a penalty shootout because who knows anything can happen in a shootout okay for my prediction i am going to go with that very dramatic result i will take napoli to win two to one in normal time on goals from victor osiman and huicha Kvaraskelia. i'll give the milan goal to olivier Giroud because he is a big game player he always seems to come up with the big goal when it is needed i think if we go to extra time milan are going to play for the penalty shootout and trust in their Champions League DNA to get them through to the semifinals. However, I guarantee you that Napoli have been practicing their penalty kicks ahead of this match. In fact, I think they've been practicing their penalty kicks since the loss to Cremonese in the Coppa Italia. I think Spalletti confirmed that a little while ago. But honestly, what this comes down to is whether the addition of Osimen can help us overcome the losses of Engisa and Kim. The latter are such important players for us and have been all season, so that has me very worried. In my opinion, if we concede more than one goal, we are exiting this competition. I just don't see us putting more than two goals past Mike Magnon, even with Osimen in the lineup. That means that we'll need to repeat what we did in the first 40 minutes of the first leg. We need to dominate the ball and we need to press and counter press aggressively to win it back we need to keep Milan off the ball as that will obviously limit their chances and when they do have the ball we need to make sure that we don't get beat in the midfield and give layout acres of space to run into because that's when Milan can do the most damage but ultimately I just want to see the football do the talking I am so exhausted from all of the off the field nonsense not just from our fans but from the Milan fans as well I don't think anyone has covered themselves in glory, and we just need to get back to watching and enjoying the beautiful game. I think this could be one of the most historic Champions League matches involving Italian clubs in a very long time. Okay, that is where I will leave it. I hope you enjoyed the match. If you like the show, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating and or a review on your favorite podcast platform. That always helps to spread the word. You can also support the show if you're able to by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash forzanapolipod. It's entirely voluntary, there are no set tiers, but it does help me to continue to produce content both on the podcast and on our website at forzanapolipress.com. I will be back later in the week to review this match and to preview our next one, which is another big match. We've got Juventus up next in Serie A, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Sports Social Podcast Network Step into the world of power loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.